Welcome back to GMF's Out of Order podcast. For our first episode of the year, we're going to turn back to the not-so-distant past and take stock of Germany's presidency of the Council of the European Union, which ended just a few days ago. After six months helming the EU's policy agenda, what were the expectations and how did Germany fare? And now that Portugal has picked up the baton, what should the priorities for 2021 be? I'll talk first to Open Society Foundation's Berlin-based policy analyst, Goetz Framholtz, about the position of the council presidency itself, and he'll give a high-level view of Germany's report card in the role. Then, GMF's Suda David Wilt picks up the episode with two conversations with top German officials, first with Germany's chief economist, and then with two key legislators, one from Merkel's CDU party and the other with the Greens. Here's the episode. This is Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast about how the world was, is, and will be ordered. Today, in our first episode of 2021, we are going to do something a little bit unexpected, and we're going to look back to 2020, despite it being a year that most of us probably would like to forget. A lot happened, and... Today, specifically, we're going to talk about Germany's EU Council presidency. Um, Over here in the States where I am, this might be a topic that a lot of Americans don't really maybe know even happened. So we're going to talk to an expert on the European Union and the EU Council presidency, Goetz Fremholtz, who's with the Open Society Foundation in Berlin. So thanks so much for being here from Berlin. Thank you for having me. So first of all, let's start kind of broad. What is the EU Council presidency? How does it work? Uh, Germany just ended its stint and Portugal picks up the torch next. But how does it work and what's the purpose? So when we're talking about the EU Council presidency, we're actually talking about the presidency of the Council of the European Union. And that's one of the three legislative bodies, bodies of the EU with the EU Commission and the European Parliament. And the presidency is a little bit kind of a misconception. It's more like a chair because we are not talking about the United States of Europe. We're talking about an alliance of sovereign states. And the chair of this body of government, EU government, is basically there to negotiate the interests and chair the interests of the member states of the European Union. And these are 27 member states. And every six months, the chair is changing and passing on to another country. So it's more like a mediator role and less of a really like a presidential role. Because, you know, the power, the negotiations, the agenda setting is happening still in the countries. And this chair is most likely just there to uh, yeah, negotiate uh, the overall interests within the European Union and between the member states. Um, And just to follow up on that, how are the... How is the country chosen each time? Do they go in the same order every time or is it a lottery system? So, uh, no, the the order is not always the same. It's a a process that uh, ensures some sort of uh, diversity. So I think this is the second time for Angela Merkel to actually chair the council presidency. So, yeah, it's been a while since Germany had its turn. So you're a policy analyst in Berlin, so we're going to focus on... Germany's recent holding of this position. So last year, of course, this Berlin had no shortage of crises to deal with on top of 
kind of its responsibilities, its new responsibilities in this position. So before it took the chair of, as you call it, the, the kind of chairmanship, what were the expectations for Germany going into the beginning of the year? And then how did it actually go? So every time when a country like a heavyweight in the EU, like Germany, takes the chair or takes over the, the presidency, expectations and demands are quite huge. And this year, especially aside from the, yeah, from the pandemic, there were really big issues Germany was supposed to deal with during its presidency. One, of course, most prominent Brexit. The other one dealing with climate change, which is here. Then we had the huge blockage, blockage uh, of the EU budget. And of course, uh, there's these two very important keywords, strategic autonomy of the EU in the world. So how to deal with uh, countries like the United States of America, countries like China and Russia, but also how to deal with the world's future on the continent of Africa. So the relationship with the African Union was very important. So the expectations were huge. But as always, or almost always, in uh, countries who have the leadership in the, uh, in the council, the expectations have to be managed. And especially during the pandemic, because the pandemic overshadowed everything. And strategic autonomy became a completely different meaning during the presidency, because it was not only about economic autonomy or defense, security autonomy, it was all of a sudden about public health. So when we recognize in the EU, we, don't, we do not have enough masks over here and we need China to deliver masks. Or when we figured out that uh, medicine like paracetamol is not being produced in the EU, but in China, uh, we had to think about a more global picture. And when Germany takes over the presidency, what's being expected is a deal. And what we got were deals. If we consider them as good or bad, doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, in terms of deals, Germany delivered. We've got a deal on Brexit, however that plays out. We've got a deal on climate, which could definitely be improved. We've got a deal on the budget. We have a 1.8 trillion euro budget for the next seven years. And that's a huge thing because this also includes 750 billion euros for people in need, for businesses in need, and regions most hit by the pandemic. So in terms of deals, the presidency delivered. Of course, this is all not perfect, but as we always say here in the European Union, uh, the EU can continue to muddle on. So in terms of deals, I want to focus on one thing that got a lot of attention um, over here in the U.S. too, right before the holidays, which has to do with kind of issues and challenges surrounding rule of law in Europe. I think a lot of us or most of us have read about you know, Poland and Hungary and their kind of fraught, if you want to put it simply, relations with the countries of the EU. And they were holding up some of those deals, weren't they? Um, so can you can you talk about a little bit about how that played out and what's the lasting impact? So the, these rule of law issues we have in the EU, especially with Hungary and Poland, are around since roughly about 2015. And these rule of law violations are out in the open in the EU. This concern, you know, the independence of uh, judges and courts, 
uh, women's rights, uh, freedom of press, freedom of uh, science and teaching, and the list goes on. And these are out in the, out in the open. And uh, this had a lot to do, and the, the, the presidency or the EU itself had a lot of issues in dealing with this situation because of uh, most uh, decisions have to be unanimous in, in the council in order to pass something. And Germany had this huge responsibility uh, this time around in order to broker a deal for the next financial framework in order to get things on the road. But this budget had a very important uh, part in it, which was the conditionality of funding, which means that the money in this uh, multi-annual frame, financial framework was supposed to be bound to rule of law standards in the member states and only member states who adhere to the rule of law would get money. And of course, Hungary and Poland didn't like that that much. So they blocked it. They blocked the initial idea. So how to, how to deal with that? And the European Union had basically two choices, trying to find common ground and mend things and play the long game and try to find out how can we do this despite all the rule of law violations or break it, which would have meant uh, a Hungarexit or a Polexit, uh, apart from the Brexit maybe. And this is clearly something that would not happen under uh, an Angela Merkel presidency in the European Union who is very pragmatic and plays the game of politics without any ideology and just tries to seek the unity. So this is what happened. And the wording was kept of the budget, so conditionality is still there, but its implementation has practically been uh, postponed to 2022, which coincidentally uh, aligns with the uh, federal elections in Hungary. So this will, this framework, the conditionality will be implemented after Hungary has elected a new government. And was this kind of a resolution, if you will, was this met with praise or was it met with, with criticism? Is it kind of seen as a pragmatic move by Germany or maybe not so much from where you sit? Well, uh, I'm, I'm now uh, talking from the position of a human rights organization. And of course, to wait another one and a half, two years in order to implement rule of law mechanisms, that of course isn't enough from our perspective. But speaking as a policy analyst, I say, okay, the goal has been reached. We have the conditionality of funding in the budget, and that's a huge win on the pragmatic side. So it always has its ups and downs, and especially when you're talking about EU policy, um, it's never perfect, and we never get the maximum of, out of uh, what we are expecting of policymakers in Brussels. Looking to the future, Germany is no longer in this position. Portugal is, but... Berlin has some important elections coming up soon. And with the new U.S. president, Joe Biden, there's a lot of expectations for kind of how Germany's role in Europe and its relationship with the United States is going to potentially change or play out. From where you sit, your perspective, kind of what are you watching in terms of Germany's role in Europe and on the world stage? That, that's not an unusual question for, an, uh, for somebody who works for an organization that's very internationally structured. So we always see not only Germany in Germany or Germany in the EU, but we always see Germany in the EU and the EU in the international uh, fields of power. So what we are expecting is that uh, Germany 
will continue to push for more human rights standards in supply chains. chains. We were expecting this during the presidency that uh, leg legislation would be tabled that uh, human rights due diligence in production chains would be met. Uh, we are expecting that in the new coalition in Germany, uh, next year in September, the new elections in Germany will take place, federal elections. And we are expecting that this will become German law. And we hope, because Germany is going to introduce this on the, on the national level, this could be a blueprint for the EU as well. So we are very much counting on the improvement of human rights standards in production chains globally. Uh, we're, of course, looking at future relationships with China. We have a Chinese uh, trade deal between the EU and China. On the economic side, sure, this is a success, but what we as a human rights organization see is that the human rights standards are not really met in this treaty, and we hope we see more improvement during the Portuguese um, presidency in this regard. And, of course, something that fell under the table this year are the EU-African uh, Union relations. There was supposed to be a summit uh, last year in 2020, Uh, which got cancelled due to the pandemic uh, situation. And this is going to take place this year during the Portuguese presidency. And we are hoping that the EU-AU relations will be um, significantly deepened on that end as well. So I guess these are my three takeaways we are expecting in the future. Well, thank you so much. Uh, happy New Year. And... We'll be looking forward to seeing what Portugal does with its presidency and what Germany does moving forward. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. And I'd, li I'd love to be back to talk about China. My name is Suda David-Wilp, and I am based in GMF's Berlin office. I spoke to representatives across the political spectrum about their assessment of Germany's EU presidency and what's ahead for 2021. First up, Jakob von Weizsäcker, chief economist at the German Federal Ministry of Finance and former member of the European Parliament for the Social Democrats from 2014 to 2019. Then I spoke to two lawmakers, Jürgen Hart, foreign policy spokesperson for the CDU-CSU parliamentary group, and also former German government coordinator for transatlantic cooperation. I also spoke to Sergei Lekaninsky, member of the European Parliament for the Greens and chair of the delegation to the EU-Turkey Joint Parliamentary Committee. He's also the vice chair of the Committee on Legal Affairs. Here's what they had to say. Thanks, Jakob, for joining us on GMF's Out of Order podcast. You are one of the handful of figures that has political experience in both Berlin and Brussels. So it's really great to get your thoughts on Germany and the EU. Um, I guess I'll start off with the question about Germany and Chancellor Merkel forever being tasked to be crisis managers. Um, and considering the unprecedented times that we're in, how would you rate Germany's EU presidency? What were the successes and what could have been done better? I think it's always difficult uh, for the people involved to judge their own doing. So I think it's uh, for others to judge um, to what extent we have been successful. But there's certainly one element um, where I think Europe really came together. Um, and that's, of course, next generation EU. We were confronted yet again, uh, only 10 years after the financial crisis, with another very, very serious crisis that nobody expected. 
Um, and the question was, was Europe going to be able to come together forcefully, quickly, and deliver? Um, and I think the good news is uh, that we were able to do that. Um, we um, put together not only, of course, our next seven-year budget, but a, a special facility designed for the crisis, but forward-looking, investing in digitalization, investing in energy transition, um, in, investing in, in, in the prosperity of the future. Um, and that was to the tune of 750 billion. That's an enormous amount. But also on the spending side, there was an important element of solidarity so that the countries most affected uh, would be receiving the most. And there's an interesting um, institutional innovation. Um, the way we do this, for now, we borrow the money. It's joint borrowing on an unprecedented scale at the European level. And those funds, they will be repaid in about 30 years from now, which means they will be repaid in the proportion of how well countries are off in a generation from now. And I think that offers a very impressive, not only um, solidarity feature, but insurance feature. Who knows what the world would look like in 20, uh, 30 years from now, looking back 30 years to 1990, it, the world was a very different place. So I think um, that certainly is one of the success stories that happened during our presidency. It goes back to some extent to a Franco-German initiative. Um, uh, and uh, uh, of course, what is critical to understand is that all member states had to come together and parliament had to approve it. Um, and I think uh, um, if, if I was to single out one achievement, not of the presidency, but during the presidency that I think will go down in history, it's that particular um, next generation EU package. I mean, there were certainly a lot of breakthroughs during those six months. Um, and you mentioned them about the solidarity when it comes to debt. But, you know, um, hindsight is twenty twenty. What could have been done better? I, I mean, there was a close call toward the end in terms of passing the budget. Um, do you think uh, your government and um, other EU countries uh, towed the correct line when it come, came to the rule of law and dealing with Hungary and Poland? Our government structure, and I think that's uh, important to understand for our listeners in the United States, is such that for important decisions, it's not like the Senate and then you do a filibuster. It is actually that every single member state has to come on board. And that's what's making these negotiations difficult, um, but uh, um, that's the way it works. And so I think there were no shortcuts. Uh, there had to be an agreement among all of us. And at the same time, it was essential for the self-understanding of the EU that the rule of law um, be respected and that a proper mechanism would be put in place to ensure that in case there were difficulties with the rule of law, um, uh, the financial solidarity would know its limits. And um, these were um, absolutely essential. There was no um, there was no good way around unanimity. There was no good way uh, uh, around, and, and we didn't want to, obviously, um, uh, making sure that the uh, rule of law is also enshrined in our financial uh, setup of the European Union. And I think in the end, we, we got both. There were uh, <laughs> compromises in detail. So some of these compromises, of course, they weren't easy to make. But I think in the end, we achieved 
a very impressive package, good for the future of the union, um, good for solidarity, and we achieved uh, important progress on the rule of law. And so uh, while one can always with hindsight say, well, couldn't there have been this particular tactical maneuver that could have happened earlier or, or slightly later, um, I think what, what matters in the end is that we came together and we delivered on these key aspects. And, you know, in that um, line of thought, Jakob, um, again, it was a successful negotiation um, as the clock was ticking. And you mentioned um, investment, for example, in digitization. What other sort of New Year's resolutions would you like to see the EU make moving forward in, for 2021? Obviously, um, we need to make certain um, that it, as the world hopefully recovers uh, from the COVID tragedy, um, that all countries in Europe are able to grasp the opportunities that the future offers, including digitization, including an energy transition, but, but just in terms of, you know, um, GDP growth, in terms of creating jobs, in terms of uh, uh, creating more cohesive society, in terms of improving pandemic preparedness. These are uh, issues that bring us together. But I think there's a second very important New, new Year's, Year's resolution that I would have. I think it's already very impressive to think about these matters at the European level. But what we certainly need to do, because uh, these challenges, um, be them uh, COVID-19, be, be them um, uh, uh, energy transition, they're obviously global challenges. So what we definitely need is we need a refreshed transatlantic partnership and we need a global outlook in order to address global challenges. Um, Jakob, actually, you know, you mentioned a lot of things that I was going to ask you about, but maybe we can be a little bit more specific in the sense that um, you're absolutely right. You know, on top of this pandemic is a massive economic crisis. Um, how can we make our economies on both sides of the Atlantic more resilient once we get on the other side of this pandemic? And maybe you could also talk a little bit about the transatlantic relationship in the sense that um, you know, Europe is going to be different in 2021 with Brexit and America is having, will have a new administration come January 20th. Uh, talk a little bit about this uh, very in vogue uh, term of strategic autonomy. Are, do you believe in it? Do you think that Europe should chart its own course or how can Europe and America work together to uh, restart the economy and to um, perhaps rebuild, or actually I should say rebuild a new transatlantic relationship. Curiously, certainly um, if one goes back to the period uh, before um, the Trump presidency, um, uh, previous administrations very much felt that an element of strategic autonomy of the European uh, Union uh, would be desirable for the transatlantic relationship. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Biden administration were to see it exactly on those terms as well. So I don't see a contradiction at all between a refreshed, strengthened transatlantic partnership and a greater element of strategic autonomy, which to some extent, by the way, it has to do with the internal workings of the EU, because of course, not only when it comes to the uh, European budget, uh, we have very complicated decision-making processes. That is also to a very large extent true for anything to do with uh, foreign policy. And, and so sorting ourselves out internally so that we become more effective 
externally, including in the transatlantic partnership, I think that's something that is desirable for the EU itself and is desirable um, from a US perspective. So I, I, I don't think we'd be talking about uh, any contra contradiction here. Let me move to a subject that is close to my heart, but I'm aware that macroeconomics is not, not close to everybody's heart. <laughs> but I, I, I think I need to mention it anyway. Um, That's okay. That's we we contacted you as you know <laughs> because of your economic expertise. Um, yeah, so yeah. please fire away. So so if that's all right, um, uh, let me just point out that on, on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, the situation with monetary policy is somewhat unusual compared to the past, in that interest rates are really very very low indeed, and that in a crisis situation has an important implication. It means that uh, the central banks, they cannot easily lower interest rates any further in order to stimulate the economy to the extent that it is needed. That is why fiscal policy has a more important responsibility. And from what I hear in the debate inside Europe, we're increasingly acknowledging that fact. And uh, next generation e e EU, to an important extent, is an expression of that insight but also listening to um, uh, people like uh, Janet Yellen and others who, who are likely to play a role in, in the U.S. and ex-U.S. administration, one really does get the sense uh, that uh, uh, one sees eye to eye uh, in terms of the economic outlook, in terms of the role of monetary policy, the role of fiscal policy, which is not uh, only going to help in, in, in our conversations, for example, at the level of G7, G20. But I think it's also going to be helpful uh, to forge a common transatlantic agenda, including um, uh, uh, tackling um, and forcefully tackling the challenges ahead, uh, for example, in the area of climate change. Uh, um, in order to do that successfully, we are not only going to have to get the carbon pricing right, which is critical, but we also uh, need to uh, spark a major investment drive um, so, so that uh, we, we do have the infrastructure in place that enables us to emit much less CO2 very quickly and ultimately uh, uh, basically uh, no net, uh, come to a state where we are no net emitters of CO2 any longer. Um, Jakob, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to the Out of Order podcast, and I wish you the best for 2021. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Sergey and Jürgen, for joining us on GMF's Out of Order podcast. It is great to have two lawmakers, one from the EU Parliament and one from the German Bundestag, on this episode as we look back on Germany's EU presidency. So maybe I'll start with you, Sergei, since you're sitting in Brussels right now. What kind of tone do you think Germany set with this EU presidency? Were you happy to see some of the agenda items? And was there anything that you could have maybe added to the agenda? I think that the German presidency was a management presidency. And I'm not surprised about that since um, our chancellor uh, is a good manager. Um, uh, what we were lacking is... Um, a vision. And what I was lacking was a vision. And uh, I understand we have a special crisis situation and you had to manage the crisis. But it was indeed, in many cases, it was not clear where uh, we could bring 
this European Union in a year or two and how we can now um, uh, lay foundations for that. Um, and, and this is something which we saw in, in negotiations. We saw that it was always about, you know, the compromise was the most important, uh, and it is technically, but t technicalities are not everything. And, and this is, if anything, I think this is something that we were lacking and missing. Jürgen, you work very closely with Angela Merkel, and she certainly is um, the crisis manager extraordinaire. What did you think about this EU presidency looking back? I think it was a very successful presidency, um, especially in the last weeks, um, uh, to bring through the uh, budget for the next seven years and also the Next Generation Europe um, program was a, a huge success. Um, we know about the discussions with Poland and Hungary about some, some special questions around that. And the second was that I appreciate very much that uh, European Union came to a, um, a more, more ambitious uh, climate uh, target um, under the German presidency. Unfortunately, until today, it was not yet possible to reach an agreement with uh, uh, UK concerning the regulations after Brexit. Uh, but hopefully um, uh, in January, we'll, we'll see progress. And, you know, looking now forward into 2021, um, as you as the presidency now sits with Portugal, what kind of priorities, Jürgen, would you like to see um, in focus as we go into the new year? I think what we also um, missed in this presidency due to Corona, it was not possible to do that. It's a, a more ambitious um, dialogue and also um, finding of a strategy concerning China and international trade issues. I would appreciate very much if European Union looks closer to the topics of World Trade Organization, but also on bilateral trade agreements with Mercosur, for example, but also how we deal with China. And unfortunately, um, uh, uh, EU-China summit was not possible. And I hope that it can be done in the next uh, presidency under, under Portugal. Sergey, do you concur? Um, China is certainly a huge um, topic for Europe, but, but also for the United States. And I'll get to the transatlantic relationship in just a minute. But what kind of priorities would you like to see um, at the top of the agenda for 2021? Well, everything that we missed out uh, during the German presidency. And we, if we look, you know, kind of beyond this current crisis, um, the, the, the points that will determine our future are foreign policy and our ability to act on the international arena, digital issues and migration issues, the big story of the 21st century. And unfortunately, if we are honest with ourselves during the past six months on those issues, precisely on those issues, we were not able uh, to gain momentum that I would have wished we could, um, and which is clearly also because structurally the European Union is not able uh, to act swiftly, for example, in foreign policy issues. Um, we uh, missed our opportunity to be um, active and leading, uh, frankly, uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, the initiatives on Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean failed. Uh, the situation in Libya uh, is, is, is very critical, uh, you know, continues to be. So everywhere where the European Union and this presidency could have um, uh, played a, a role of a, you know, not even talking about global leader, but the regional leader, we missed 
those opportunities. And if I, you know, I'm in that position, so I'm allowed to criticize. And, and, and I think this, this would be uh, the points that the next uh, and the next and the next uh, presidency has to tackle, just as the issue of migration. We had a proposal during this past six months, which is just not viable. It doesn't bring any, anyone anything, and the member states already signaled it's not going to go forward. And the digital issues, frankly, uh, proposals like the, that one coming from the German Interior Ministry to um, uh, basically stop encrypt, encryption of uh, the communication channels that many Democrats and many countries need as safe space um, to unfold and to have a safe communication is, is, was a really wrong sign, uh, despite the fact that we, of course, need uh, to tackle issues like anti-terrorism, etc., etc. On that point, um, as someone who is doing, uh, you know, legal affairs uh, committee, I, I think those were the wrong signs uh, coming from the uh, German president. So the next presidency will have to uh, maybe correct those tendencies. Um, Jürgen, I want to give you a chance to respond as a foreign policy expert um, and maybe talk a little bit about um, Europe and its, um, you know, Handlungsfähigkeit, how Europe is boosting its capabilities to act as a, um, you know, a, a leader on the global stage. I agree with Sergei that the European Union should uh, have more power in foreign security issues. Unfortunately, we have this um, principle of anonymous um, decisions in foreign policy issues in the European Union. Germany and also um, uh, the parties supporting the German government, like CDU, CSU, we are promoting uh, to, to shift to a majority principle or even in uh, foreign and security issues. But um, I do not agree with Sergei concerning the results of the six months of the German presidency, because I see uh, in Libya, um, not a breakthrough, but 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 uh, but uh, huge progress concerning the development in that country, uh, sponsored by the German um, Libya conference in January um, uh, this year, uh, in the year 2020. And um, uh, second, I think the cooperation bet uh, between European Union and uh, several African states in, in African Union, in ECOWAS and other um, multilateral African institutions uh, is much better and doing fast progress uh, concerning especially the situation in Zile. We have um, uh, now to build up on those um, um, uh, things that were um, um, established in, in, in 2020. And uh, Germany will be a strong supporter of every movement to make European Union uh, stronger in foreign security issues and uh, stronger in helping, uh, for example, uh, especially African states to um, 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 uh, handle their challenges. So we talked about Europe, but um, I'd also like to get to the transatlantic relationship. You know, we're at the beginning of the end of this pandemic. Uh, do you see that we're also at a turning point in the transatlantic relationship? What do you see for 2021 as um, a new administration emerges in the U.S.? I think um, uh, uh, nothing will change and everything will change. Nothing will change due to the fact that I think that the topics on the transatlantic agenda, which is trade, uh, common climate policy, um, how to handle the China challenge, the Russian challenge, um, um, uh, these, uh, uh, the security issues, burden sharing in NATO, the topics will be this, nearly the same um, uh, as they were under Obama and under Trump. But the method to handle them and to come to 
progress and to concrete results in negotiations and talks on the partnership level would be totally different because I think Joe Biden wants to have multilateral solutions for those challenges. And unfortunately, um, Trump uh, needs the conflict with Europe to sponsor its um, home agenda. And this made a huge uh, um, um, difference to that what we had uh, uh, 17 up to 20. Uh, and I, I see a huge chance to solve uh, several problems together in the transatlantic cooperation um, um, and sponsor a, a better world, especially in trade issues, in climate issues and in security issues. Sergey, you are also well known as a transatlanticist. How do you... Um... How do you view the transatlantic relationship moving forward? Well, it's a it's a huge chance that we are uh, going to be having, and I hope we're not going to miss this chance uh, because you know chances are opportunities, and you have to to use them. So it's not a given that our relationship will substantially uh, um, improve in the long run. Uh, but it is a huge opportunity, and I'm very relieved, and I think I can speak for uh, Jürgen as well. We we are most of German politicians are very relieved about. Uh, the outcome, though, of course, we don't judge, you know, the democratic decisions of any country. Um, I think the two points that are important uh, in terms of the impact on European Union are, from my perspective, the most important points. First, the, the impact on international agenda. Um, as a transatlanticist, as you, as you already said, as I identified me, um, uh, even in my, you know, in my party, um, I think that we missed uh, the active role of the United States in the conflicts that I mentioned above, for example. And I think that the dynamics will be different. Um, um, for example, as a chair of the EU-Turkey delegation, I think it is important that we have an active and clear and democratically oriented Amer U.S.-American administration uh, taking responsibility uh, along, uh, alongside with us. It's not about shifting responsibility to them. It's having an ally that is active. And I think in, in areas like this, uh, like Nagorno-Karabakh, et cetera, looking backwards, we missed uh, also a reliable partner and an active partner. And number two, maybe some, somewhat, somewhat counterintuitively, I hope that there will be an impact on the democracy agenda within the European Union. Because if you see uh, the countries where we have problems, uh, those are, especially our Polish friends, they are big uh, allies, and they rely very much on uh, the transatlantic cooperation. And it was important, and it is important, uh, who is and what kind of a Democrat, uh, what kind of democratic mind and mentality is sitting in the White House, because our friends in Warsaw cherish um, this cooperation. And I hope that there will be clear signals, for example, when we're talking about the Conference of Democracies, Alliance of Democracies, etc., to both especially affected countries like Hungary and Poland, but also beyond that, about what kind of democracy we envision in our countries, right? Um, you can call it the West, you can call it, you know, EU, transatlantic, whatever, but there is a certain liberal uh, democratic stance and we are in a uh, even always stronger confrontation worldwide between authoritarianism and liberal democracy. And we need a strong ally in the White House, which would be clearly 
liberal democratic in his, in his or her uh, mindset. Gentlemen, I thank you both for your insights. Um, it's uh, good to talk about transatlantic relations and also, of course, what happened um, with the election in the United States. I'm looking also uh, forward to see more on the German election as we uh, progress into 2021. I wish you all the best uh, for uh, this year. And thanks again for joining us on the Out of Order podcast. Thank you, Zuda. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.